This I command you, that you love one another. Last week, I referred to this as Christ's primary command to us. And as we noted, the love he commanded is not an an emotional response. It's not emotional in nature. It's action-oriented. He's commanding us to do for others what we would have them to do to and for us. In the Sermon on the Mount, he put it this way. However you want people to treat you, so treat them. And in the Sermon on the Plain, he basically said the same thing. Just as you want people to treat you, treat them the same way. The traditional rephrasing of this is called the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, it has been pointed out that Confucius said something very similar five centuries before Christ. Jesus noted that this was the fulfillment of the law and prophets, something that predated Confucius by a thousand years. And in Leviticus 19.18, we do read, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus not only quoted that, he raised it to a much higher level when he gave the disciples a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. He then even took it beyond the realm of neighbor and one another when he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Now, part of the saying he was referring to is not found in the Old Testament, but it did reflect a commonly held attitude. How could anyone be expected to love their enemy? It's far easier and more natural to hate our enemies. After all, they hate us, or they wouldn't be our enemies. Now, obviously, the world would be a better place if no one hated anyone, and We do have laws against hatred today. If you hate someone and do something to harm them, you can be charged with a hate crime. And the penalties are stiffer if you hate them when you commit a crime against them. I'm not sure I understand the reason for such laws. A crime against someone is a crime no matter the motive. And try as we may, we can never accurately judge what's going on inside of a man. Only God can judge a heart. But who wouldn't want to live in a world free from hatred? Wouldn't it be nice if everyone could join hands and sing Kumbaya together? Well, guess what? We can't and we won't because we're all sinful due to our sinful fallen nature. Mankind turned away from a loving, obedient relationship with their Heavenly Father shortly after creation. And a hate crime was committed within the first generation when jealousy and resentment led Cain to kill Abel. To address man's expected sinfulness, a plan had been laid in heaven before their creation. God would become a man and pay the penalty for sin, 
to make it possible for mankind to be brought back into a loving relationship with their creator. But when Jesus came to deliver that gospel, that good news, and to make that restoration possible, he was hated and killed. If the world wouldn't love the most loving man to ever live, guess what? It's not going to love us. If God, who is and defines love, took on flesh to become love incarnate, was crucified for doing so, we should not expect the world to love us. And Jesus told us it wouldn't. Just before experiencing extreme hatred by being crucified, Jesus warned his disciples that they too would encounter hatred in the world. Hatred from the godless, hatred from the irrational, and even hatred from the religious. And he told them this right after commanding them to love one another. We should obviously expect nothing less. We're studying the 15th chapter of John's gospel. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. I don't know about you, but I really don't like persecution passages. And, to be quite frank, I've experienced very little of what Jesus had to say about persecution. Now, some might suggest that's because I'm not faithful enough to his commands. I like to think it's because we still live in what is, at least to some degree, a Christian society. I say still because... A new study from the Pew Research Center indicates our society is changing, that America's Christian majority is shrinking and has been doing so for years. Christians made up about 90% of our population 50 years ago, but as of 2020, that figure had slumped to about 64%. And if that trend continues, Christians will make up less than half of the U.S. population before long. For now, Christianity is even the largest religion in the world, with 2.38 billion claiming to be Christians of one variety or another. So on a national and worldwide basis, we are still in the majority, and that may account for a lack of persecution in most places. However, another reason may come into play. Now, the world has had 2,000 years to grow accustomed to Christianity, if not changed by it. And in many places, there is a certain amount of tolerance that comes from apathy, 
as much as anything else. Many in the world just don't care what we believe or say or do. They shrug their shoulders and go on their way. It was not like that for the early Christians. Their beliefs and practices shocked the world, and the world responded by trying to stamp them out. Jesus knew this would happen and tried to get the disciples ready for it through continual warnings about the coming persecution. And gratefully, we are not suffering such persecution today, but many of our brothers and sisters are. Just last week, I read these notices in the Suffering Church section of Touchstone. Severe persecutions of Hmong Christians is underway in the Nayan province, Vietnam, where officials vie with each other to create Christian-free zones, Christian leaders say. Authorities put immense pressure on animus to drive their Christian relatives from their homes. Christians have been forcibly separated from spouse and children, home and fields, even their wedding rings, because of their faith. Pakistan's Christian minority continues to face discrimination, harassment, and violence, especially in the central west region which borders Afghanistan. In one attack on August 8, a Catholic man, Wilson Mahi, was killed and three teenagers injured when two Muslim gunmen on motorbikes opened fire in a Christian colony in the town of Mastong. You know, in spite of the fact that such persecution is not happening here, it is important that we have realistic expectations about the world's reception of our message and our person. Since we are to be in the world but not of it, we should not expect to be loved by the world. Our goals and objectives are to be different. Our values are to be different. In short, our life is to be different. But, sad to say, often that is not the case. And that may be the reason we face little, if any, persecution in our land today. But if we are different, the world won't understand it and probably won't like it. So we better expect some negative reactions. And that is especially true if our convictions bring us into direct conflict with those around us or threaten their lifestyle. Now, people don't like having their lifestyle challenged and are offended when it's labeled sinful. And they really get upset when we start speaking of absolutes. Our postmodern world long ago abandoned moral absolutes, and most people today claim the right to decide what's right for them and label it their truth. If we call their truth into question, we're accused of attacking them personally. And when we make it clear that God has spoken on some issues, and there is therefore no room for compromise on those matters, they simply reject God. And when they reject the God they don't know, they reject and hate the one sent by him. And if we are faithful followers of the one sent by him, they will reject and even hate us. Now, an obvious truth 
many are being encouraged to embrace today is blatantly irrational. It flies in the face of undeniable biological facts. But that's not the only thing that's irrational. It's irrational to hate God and to hate the one who died for you. But Jesus made it clear that many, many hated him without a cause. And we better expect to be hated irrationally as well. Let's continue. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But if they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. And the helper comes whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. You know, the world cannot claim ignorance of God. He has revealed himself to man through nature, through his son, through his spirit, and hopefully through us. But the majority chooses to ignore him. Jesus made it perfectly clear who he was. And no one who has read his word, no one who has read the Bible can say they don't know who he is. He's the son of God and only savior. He told us that. And not only did he tell us who he was, he showed us who he was. He did things only the son of God could do. His life, his teachings, even his miracles are historically proven facts. They have been proven beyond a reasonable doubt by 2,000 years of historical evidence. No one who is aware of what Jesus has said and done can be excused for the sin of rejecting him. Yet many do. They reject him because they don't like his message. They don't like what he had to say especially about them. They don't want to acknowledge that they are estranged from God, that they are sinful and in need of change. Now, if he hadn't told them what is sinful, their behavior wouldn't be sin. It wouldn't be a violation of his will. But he did, and they did it anyway. So they are, without a doubt, sinning against God. They hate that message, and they hate the messenger, the one who delivered it. They hate Jesus and his Father, and they will hate us if we repeat that message. Now, that makes as much sense as hating the doctor who offers to save you from a deadly disease because you don't want to admit you've got it and don't want to take the cure. But people do that. It's irrational to reject the truth, but many are irrational. And they have irrational hatred for the one who came to save them. The only reason for coming to earth was to seek and to save the lost. But they 
hate him for it. We better expect to be hated as well. Because we've been called to bear witness to Christ, to share with others what we know about him and what we know to be true. The Holy Spirit has even been sent to help us bear witness to the truth. But that doesn't mean the world will accept it. In fact, most will reject the truth and they will hate us for stating it. That's just the way it is. So we better expect it. We will be hated by the godless and the irrational. And perhaps surprisingly, we'll even be hated by those who are religious. These things I've spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. Not everyone who is religious knows the Lord. In fact, you can be very religious and not have a relationship with God at all. Men create all kinds of religions to fill their sensed religious need. And if you confront them with the truth about their faulty beliefs and religious thinking, they will probably hate you for it. Then there are those at the other end of the religious spectrum, those who believe anyone who disagrees with them and their brand of Christianity is going to hell. Both extremes react negatively to the truth in the name of of religion. Jesus even told his Jewish disciples not to be shocked if the Jewish authorities kicked them out of the synagogue. He even warned them an hour was coming when people would kill them in the name of God, thinking they were serving God by killing those they deem to be heretics. The Apostle Paul fell victim to that kind of thinking before his conversion. In Acts 23.1, he said, I have lived my life with a perfect conscience before God up to this day. And in Acts 26.9-11, he added, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously outraged and raged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Indeed, religious intolerance often leads to violence. It can even lead to war. In fact, they tell us more people have been killed in the name of religion than any other because religious hatred is often the most intense of all. And it's not only directed at heretics who distort the truth and wolves in sheep's clothing, it's often directed at those who are simply trying to live godly lives and be faithful to Christ. Why? Because they don't know Jesus. 
or his father. And they've never experienced God's love. They don't know it because they don't know him. Or they don't know it because we've never shown God's love to them. Either way, if they did know the love of God, they wouldn't hate him or us. Because no one who knows the love of God can hate anyone made in his image. Obviously, that speaks to us as well. And even when persecuted, we cannot hate. However, we who do love God must expect to be hated by those who don't. Be they openly godless, unbelievably irrational, or fanatically religious. If they hate our Lord, they will hate us. And we must know that before we decide to follow him. He doesn't want us to be shocked when we discover that those who follow the Prince of Peace will be hated by the world he came to save. And he wants us to know that before we sing, I surrender all the stamp.